millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Paige Desorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Welcome to Season 5, Episode 41 of They Walk Among Us, a podcast dedicated to UK true crime. Please listen to Season 5, Episodes 39 and 40 for Parts 1 and 2 of this three-part case. This episode contains distressing themes, explicit language and descriptions of violence. This podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener caution is advised. In early April 2016, the judge began his summary of the case. Approaching its eighth week, during the trial the jury were told of the 100-plus injuries that were inflicted. Weighing six and a half stone, Angela Wrightson was beaten, not only punched and kicked, but assaulted with a table, a printer a television and a vase over the course of several hours. The Crown alleged that two teenage girls aged 13 and 14 were responsible. CCTV images of Angela taken around half past seven on December 8th, 2014 confirmed that she had no visible marks to her face although when a selfie photo was taken by the defendants an hour and a half later, there were six prominent injuries. Wounds similar in appearance, 
were found during a post-mortem of Angela's body. The judge, Mr Justice Globe, confirmed that the two defendants had lied when they initially spoke with the police. He told jurors that this did not, however, mean they were guilty. It was argued Samantha had a mental condition, which experts for both the prosecution and defence recognised impaired her understanding and increased the likelihood that she would not tell the truth, as lying was a characteristic of her disorder. It is important you remember that what she said in her police interview were lies, the judge said, but you need to be cautious about what was said in interview. She is young, no doubt frightened. The jury were reminded only a single fingerprint was found on the items used in the attack. Discovered on a printer, the impression belonged to Samantha. Addressing the findings by forensic scientist Dr Gemma Escott, the judge said, Dr Escott found there were 14 potential weapons used to assault Angela Wrightson. She was able to identify them as a result of the particular type of damage on them and significantly the combination of blood-impacted hair and skin on them. Forensic evidence, including blood spatter, suggested that both girls had participated in the attack to some degree, striking Angela Wrightson at least once. The reason for Angela's death could not be attributed to a single factor. The underlying cause of death was the inciting of injuries, then her heart suddenly stopped, Mr Justice Globe stated. The judge also made reference to the fact that Jennifer, who was 13 at the time, denied being part of the assault. According to the defendant, she watched from the sidelines. Although there were conflicting reports from witnesses who spoke with Jennifer after the attack, she admitted they would get locked up as they had, quote, done Angie in. Furthermore, a young male friend of the defendants who had seen them in between the hours of 11pm to 2am told the court they had blood on their clothes. The girls claimed they had fallen over. During his testimony, the young male witness also stated the defendants had been in another altercation. The witness said that Jennifer and Samantha had done someone in before. This was not fully addressed during the testimony. However, a juror passed a note to the judge asking for more clarification. Mr Justice Globe confirmed that these were the words that the witness had uttered, although he directed the jury to disregard this matter. According to the judge, there was no evidence to back up this statement. Concluding his remarks, Mr Justice Globe told jurors they had as long as they needed to reach a verdict for each defendant. They should not rush their decision. For the moment, please put majority verdicts out of your mind and strive to find a verdict which each and every one of you agree on. 
the judge said. The defendants were barely into their teens when Angela writes and died. They had been close friends, inseparable, but now they were blaming one another. The assault on Angela was said to have lasted a considerable period of time, interspersed with selfie photos between 9pm on December 8th, 2014 to the early hours of the next day. Almost a year and a half later on Tuesday, April 5th, 2016, the jurors took only a few hours to arrive at a decision for each defendant. When Jennifer and Samantha were told the verdicts, they were inconsolable. They each held their head in their hands. The pair were quickly accompanied from the courtroom. The judge had told them he would need to look at a number of factors before seeing them again in court for sentencing. In two unanimous decisions... The jury rejected Jennifer's claims that she was just a bystander watching from the sidelines as the attack was carried out. Jurors also refuted that Samantha's mental condition affected her ability to understand her actions. It was clear jurors did not believe either of them. Justice Henry Globe spoke with the jury once the girls had left the court. I am sure it will have to be explained to both of the girls that there is only one sentence for the offence of murder, which so far as their ages go, is detention for life. She was a vulnerable woman, brutally murdered in her own home by two young girls. When Angela Wrightson's beaten body was found here, she was wearing nothing but a T-shirt, a humiliation which may have occurred after she was dead. What makes it perhaps more shocking is that this was carried out by two young girls who were barely teenagers, yet they were capable of such cruelty against a woman who clearly could not defend herself. After the attack, they rang the police for a lift home before taking a selfie in the back of the van. Now, they're a year older. A few moments ago, they left the courtroom sobbing. Peter McPhillips, Detective Chief Superintendent with Cleveland Police, described how he had never seen such a brutal murder in the two and a half decades he had been policing, which was made even more shocking as it was committed by such young girls. It's a very, very tragic case. Uh, Angela was obviously very vulnerable. Uh, She was well known to services. She had had problems in the past. The two girls were very young, uh, probably didn't understand the gravity of what they've done. And even now, I'm not certain that they understand what's happened. Jerry Wareham, speaking on behalf of the Crown Prosecution Service, was also in a state of disbelief, considering the young ages of the girls convicted. 
Given the severity of the assault on Miss Wrightson, one would expect the girls to have shown a degree of remorse in the wake of her death, he said. Instead, they laughed and smiled while posing for a selfie, with each continuing to deny that they had murdered her throughout the investigation and prosecution of this case. Wareham hoped that the convictions brought some measure of closure to the family. Angela Wrightson's relatives offered a statement through a representative in which they pointed out how she was murdered at home, a place they said where everyone has a right to feel safe. The family admitted they were not as close as they should have been, but now with Angela's murder the opportunity to reconnect and put that right had been taken away. No sentence, regardless of its severity, will ever bring Angie back, they added. The two girls responsible will one day be women themselves, free to live their lives and perhaps have children of their own. A right which was taken from Angie. The convictions triggered action by Hartlepool Borough Council, who announced plans to carry out multiple reports and sought the opinion of experts to understand if there were any failings in regards to Angela Wrightson's murder. They promised through a serious case review and safeguarding adult review, they would leave no stone unturned. Cleveland police felt there were still many questions unanswered. There did not appear to be a concrete motive. Details of the numerous warnings to child protection services were not revealed in the trial. Questions about the girl's behaviour, specifically the older of the two, Samantha, needed to be understood. Samantha was referred to an adolescent specialist as she had a long-standing history of violent outbursts. However, this was not on her case file. Although not reported at the time of the trial, Samantha's mother was also diagnosed with a mental health disorder. Samantha was labelled out of control. One foster parent had no choice but to lock herself in a room where Samantha was staying, terrified of what might happen. The teenager regularly punched and headbutted the walls, and was even arrested for assaulting a member of staff at a care home. Jennifer's upbringing was somewhat different from Samantha's. She was an only child. Her parents had raised her together, as best they could, according to her mother. Jennifer was seen as so out of control, social services stepped in and she was placed in foster care. She had run away from home on numerous occasions. It seemed any boundaries they sought to establish would get ignored by the teenager. Jennifer was described as awkward, although she appeared to come out of her shell if she was able to use her mobile phone. 
something that rarely, if ever, left her sight. Jennifer and Samantha had absconded from care every two out of three nights in the lead-up to the crime. Although that said, nothing was forcing them to stay where they were. They had not been convicted of any criminal offences prior to the evening of December 8th, 2014, at least according to public record. Jennifer's mother and father had been in the public gallery every day of the trial. They watched as the van that was transporting their daughter drove off. Not a single member of Samantha's family was either in the courtroom or waiting outside as she was led away. The question as to why both Jennifer and Samantha ended Angela Wrightson's life appeared to be a subject that experts were keen to answer. Was it due to the girls' upbringing, their mental state, or were they simply born, destined to carry out horrific acts of violence? Author Brian Masters, who had written biographies on serial killers Dennis Nielsen and Rose West, was of the opinion that it appeared to be a combination of factors. He explained to BBC correspondent Bethan Bell that countless members of the public had difficult childhoods and were exposed to considerable levels of abuse, although they do not all perpetrate that same level of violence. The same was said for people who had psychological disorders. This does not mean they are murderers. However, he said, quote, If all these things are combined, if you're badly treated as a child, if you grow up in a violent society, if you've got a psychological disorder, then you don't stand a chance. A similar question was posed to a lecturer in criminology. Dr. Charlotte Barlow told journalist Chris Webber, writing for the Northern Echo, that it is often a messy combination of nature and nurture. Having a significantly troubled background would have undoubtedly been a contributory factor, but it is important to emphasise that this alone cannot always fully explain these kinds of cases. Dr Barlow was questioned about the relationship between the two girls and spoke about the difficulties in identifying if one encouraged the other. More questions needed to be asked. Quote, the girl's reasons for offending need to be understood within its broader social context. For example, an overly intense friendship which is arguably the result of a troubled, negligent and challenging upbringing. Furthermore, another interesting point to consider here is that much of the girl's behaviour within the context of their offending seem to be disassociated and disconnected from the seriousness of the offence. For example, taking photographs of the victim and taking a selfie after the murder had taken place. This naivety highlights their lack of understanding of the seriousness of their offending. Elizabeth Yardley, Professor of Criminology at Birmingham University, addressed the issue of how social media played into the crime. 
Yardley told the BBC that young people use social media to tell the stories of their lives. The professor was of the belief that young people are aware of what and what not to post, especially illegal activity. Yardley said, The actions of these girls suggest they did not care about the consequences or were simply not thinking about them, as their values about what is right and wrong are significantly off-kilter. Jennifer and Samantha returned to Leeds Crown Court to learn how many years they would be incarcerated before they were allowed to see the outside world. The two girls had been accompanied by chaperones throughout the trial. Jennifer, who was smartly dressed, hoped to catch a glimpse of her parents. She was seen biting her fingernails. Samantha, who arrived clothed in a tracksuit, suppressed a yawn while occasionally rubbing her eyes. She was either sucking her thumb or chewing on the sleeve of her hoodie. They never once looked at each other, only staring forward into the public gallery. Despite an application from media outlets under Article 10 of the Human Rights Act, which provides freedom to hold opinions and to receive and impart information and ideas without interference by public authority. Mr Justice Globe confirmed that he would still not be lifting the court order, which barred anyone from revealing the identity of the two girls convicted of murder. Hartlepool Borough Council and Cleveland Police had objected to the girls' real names being released as they were concerned about a violent reprisal from the public and the impact it could have on the welfare of the teenagers. This accordingly outweighed the public interest in naming them. The judge repeated the fact that Samantha, the older of the two, had attempted to take her own life during the legal proceedings, once in the court's toilets. She was being monitored continually while in custody through a visual check every two minutes. This was a mitigating factor in the decision of providing anonymity. Mr Justice Globe told Samantha, who was then 15, I am concerned and disturbed by what I regard as a heightened real risk that identification followed by a press blitz will elevate the risk to your life to such an extent that I am satisfied that there is a real and immediate risk to your life if you were to be identified as one of the two girls who murdered Angela Wrightson. During mitigation, barristers for the teenagers highlighted the difficulty in their upbringing and the remorse they felt. A victim personal statement from Angela's mother who identified her daughter in the mortuary described the horror of what she saw and how it would be impossible to forget. The judge told the court he shared the view of Angela's mother who could not understand why the two girls did what they did. 
Maureen writes and eventually stop coming to the trial, unable to hear any more of the gruesome details of the attack. Mr Justice Globe told the court that it was clear the two girls committed the crime together. Describing them as cowards, he explained that they attacked someone whose kindness and loneliness had made them vulnerable. The judge said, There was an attack that included gratuitous degradation. This was a sustained attack over a long period of time carried out with weapons in many different ways. She undoubtedly suffered considerably both mentally and physically before she ultimately lost consciousness and died. Her alcoholic state, considerable though it was, may have numbed the pain, but I stress the word may, and it most certainly would not have taken it away. You then left her alone, not knowing or caring if she was alive or dead. Jennifer and Samantha were told they would have to serve at least 15 years before being considered for parole. The commencing years of their sentences would be served in a secure children's home and they will only be released when it is believed they are no longer a risk to the public. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. This episode of They Walk Among Us is brought to you in association with Centair. Ever entered a seemingly perfect space only to feel like something was missing? That's where Centair comes in. With over three decades of experience, Centair leads the scent marketing industry, scenting resorts, retail outlets, event spaces and more, partnering with major brands like Westin Hotels and Snap Fitness. Chances are you've already encountered their fragrances firsthand. 
And now Scentair is offering you a luxury fragrance experience in the comfort of your home. Visit Scentair.com to explore their online store and infuse your spaces with unforgettable scents. Scentair diffusers are sleek and fill your space with vivid fragrance for up to 300 hours. And the Scentair app lets you schedule your fragrance and control your intensity right from your phone. What's more, all of Scentair's more than 60 fragrances are phthalate-free, cruelty-free, safe for families and EcoVad is certified sustainable. Differentiate your space with scent. Try luxury home fragrance trusted by the pros by going to Scentair.com and using promo code AMONGUS for an extra 25% off your first order. That's promo code Among Us for an extra 25% off your first order at Centair.com. It had almost been two months since the trial, and the press, the public and the authorities were still searching for answers. While both of the girls convicted of the killing retained their anonymity, they did not offer any form of statement to the press acknowledging their actions. However, Jennifer's mother came forward and gave an exclusive interview with ITV News. She offered an apology to Angela Wrightson's family. Still, she could not provide a reason as to how her daughter became involved. Expressing her heartbreak and trying to understand if there was something in her daughter's past, Jennifer's mother told reporter Tom Sheldrick, She was always a lovely girl. It's just, since she got older, listening to the wrong people. I don't know why this happened. She never actually had a fight or anything. Never been violent. Jennifer was 13 when she committed murder. She did not have any recognised mental disorders. Jennifer's mother explained that along with her partner, they did what they could. However, their daughter began to go off the rails when she started secondary school. Questions were asked about Jennifer's care and what support she received. Jennifer's mother said she tried her best, but after reporting her daughter's case to Hartlepool Social Services, she felt they did not do enough. She was left with no choice but to beg for help. According to her mother, Jennifer was making her own choices and there was not much more they could do. Her daughter was constantly running away from home. She said, I couldn't be watching her 24 hours a day. I just feel like they didn't give me enough help. It was felt Jennifer would have benefited from being separated from what her mother saw as bad influences in the area. While the ITV news correspondent was told that an apology was offered to Angela Wrightson's relatives, Jennifer's mother refused to accept responsibility as a parent. She said she knew something terrible would happen. They could have been avoided if her daughter had been placed in a foster home outside of Hartlepool or even a secure facility, where the then 13-year-old could not abscond. This would have allegedly made all the difference. 
It was suggested by Jennifer's mother that the murder could have been averted if social services in Hartlepool did more. She said her daughter was failed by the system. Days later, a member of Angela Wrightson's family also spoke about the repercussions of what had happened. This time, reporter Tom Sheldrick interviewed Angela's niece about how difficult it was to come to terms with losing Angela, and she addressed the apology that was offered to her aunt's family from Jennifer's mother. Rachel Trezida said, She expects us to accept her apology when she can't accept responsibility for her own child. So I don't accept what she's saying, and I think she's trying to wriggle out of taking some kind of responsibility for it, which she needs to because it is her child. Angela Wrightson's niece added, It's too late for Angie, but we can help other people, and that's the focus for us now. Rachel Trezida sought to create a new law that would empower caregivers and social services. It would hinder unrelated parties from accessing people's homes if there is evidence they are being exploited, preventing contact between a victim and the person responsible. It was hoped an order could be issued on the spot by the police. The Vulnerable Persons Act, or ANGIE's Law, was to be proposed once the local Safeguarding Children Board and the Teesside Safeguarding Adults Board had completed their reviews. The proposal would safeguard people who were considered vulnerable, like Angela Wrightson. It would take a year before the findings from the Serious Case Review and Safeguarding Adult Review were made public. In June 2017, multiple reports from Hartlepool Local Safeguarding Children Board and the Teesside Safeguarding Adults Board analysed the care provided to Angela Wrightson and the two girls who took her life. Angela's all-consuming alcoholism was attributed to a traumatic youth. It appeared, by all accounts, the only time Angela had some sort of structure in her life was when she was in prison. And aside from a partner whom Angela was deeply in love with, only to lose him to alcohol-related complications, Angela seemed her happiest day-to-day when she was incarcerated. The concerns about Angela persistently contacting the police were warranted, as during the last two years of her life she had made over 200 calls to the authorities. Over 250 separate calls were made by members of the public reporting her behaviour. However, not every call was questionable. It was challenging to work out when she truly needed help. On one occasion, Angela was arrested on suspicion of arson following a kitchen fire, but it later turned out to have been an accident. Plenty of assumptions were made. 
As evidence was reviewed, it appeared that the frequency in which young people were congregating at Angela's home was increasing. Angela was too scared of the repercussions to make any formal complaints. Her property was frequently vandalised. She was taunted endlessly, which apparently led to her offering the youth's money to make them leave. While Angela Wrightson's mother, Maureen, did not want to take part in the review, her wider family wanted to ensure people in Angela's position, people who were being bullied and humiliated with their homes being taken over, to be protected by law. They saw this proposal operating in the same way as domestic abuse laws. Her family said then there was no mechanism in place to stop these, quote, home invasions from happening. Angela's niece was later interviewed about the findings in the report from the Teesside Safeguarding Adults Board and expressed her hopes for the future. Addressing her aunt's circumstances, Rachel Trezida stated, In the report it said she was homejacked by two females who used her property without her permission. It's a horrendous thing, a very serious thing, not recognised, and it needs to be. And that's where Angie's law would come in. Whether you're rich, whether you're poor, this can happen to anybody. You can get exploited by anybody, and this needs to stop. And vulnerable people are the most exploited. In the serious case review by the Safeguarding Children Board, there appeared to be few surprises in respect of Samantha's early life. She was 14 when she was arrested on suspicion of murder. The report explained that along with her five sisters, Samantha had an unstable upbringing which was frequently peppered with instances of physical abuse that occurred regardless of where she stayed. In one instance, she was moved into a care home with a large bruise around one of her eyes. The injury was reportedly inflicted by her mother. Her father was unsympathetic to his daughter's position. When Samantha was involved in a car accident that left her confined to a hospital bed for several weeks, her father only saw her as a nuisance. Her mother couldn't care less. It was noted the abusive relationship with her parents and their poor parenting skills would have impacted Samantha's self-control and how she coped day to day. At the time, Samantha's mother told the authorities that her daughter needed to be put into care as she was hitting her siblings and, quote, going to parties, possibly having sexual intercourse. When interviewed in a youth detention facility, Samantha felt that the family blamed her for their problems. Samantha's mother and father were not willing to be interviewed as part of the serious case review. While the review on Samantha's circumstances was not remarkably different from the information reported in the media, 
where it did diverge significantly, was on the subject of Jennifer's upbringing. News reports shortly after the trial suggested Jennifer's parents raised her in a stable environment and did everything they could for their daughter. However, at least according to the case review, this seemed far from the truth. The parenting style adopted was seen as, quote, hostile, physically abusive and blaming. Neither Jennifer's mother nor father accepted responsibility for what happened. According to the authorities, there was evidence of domestic violence and alcohol use. The problems Jennifer faced in her home life were then reenacted in school after there were concerns about her bullying other children. Jennifer's mother spoke with social services when her daughter was 12, describing how she could not forgive Jennifer for her adolescent behaviour. Along with Jennifer's father, they did not seem to be aware of how their actions and lack of compassion might have an adverse effect on their child. The report read that they both blamed Jennifer for their inability to be warm and caring to her. In the face of the serious case review findings from the Safeguarding Children Board, Jennifer's father would come forward and dispute the claims. He denied his daughter was subjected to abuse and dismissed the allegations that his daughter was neglected. Like his partner, he was also interviewed by a correspondent with ITV News and said that they went to social services for help asking that Jennifer be moved outside Hartlepool. Jennifer's father said, The only way they could have prevented it is if they'd have done what I'd asked them to, which is to move her away. But they placed her back in Hartlepool, where she was free to do exactly what we didn't want her to do. The Serious Case Review recommended half a dozen improvements to services, including the need to focus on the child, as there was a tendency to sympathise with parents, leaving emotional abuse unidentified and children vulnerable to continued abuse. Also, there was a need to better understand the effects of neglect. The Safeguarding Adult Review also suggested improvements be made to better recognise mental health issues, and enhancements were required to improve communication between agencies that serve both adults and children. It was agreed that while social services and support were provided, there was evidence of multiple failures. There were also challenges faced by the girls' guardians as they could not engage in the same way as a parent could. When police officers arrived to pick up the teenagers from their evenings out and return them to the care of the local authority, Jennifer and Samantha would often leave as soon as they were dropped off. The girls could not be kept in care behind a locked door. The findings concluded that from a social services standpoint, 
the parents did not engage enough with the authorities. It was decided that Angela Wrightson's murder could not have been prevented as the actions of Jennifer and Samantha were not predictable. A press conference was held to discuss the findings. The behaviour of both girls prior to the murder was troublesome, undoubtedly. Involved in antisocial behaviour, hostility, anger. It came as a total shock to everyone. Uh, and, it, you know, as a result of that, you know, the murder, unfortunately, could not have been prevented because it wasn't predictable. And if you go back to the trial, the judge made that point as well during the trial. Um, there is national guidance in place that you cannot lock doors in children's homes. As a parent, you could probably, you know, in your own home, you could probably, within reason, stop a child leaving a home. Guidance in children's homes is different, and that's national guidance. So what you do is you try to alter the behaviour of the child, you try to work with the behaviour of the child to prevent them from doing so. Uh, But physically, you cannot lock doors. So where are we now? In spite of both reviews from Hartlepool Local Safeguarding Children Board and the Teesside Safeguarding Adults Board, as at the time of this recording, there are no further updates on the proposal of Angie's Law. Angela Wrightson's murder received extensive local and national media attention. Jennifer and Samantha were labelled the Snapchat killers, a moniker that was even repeated in court documents. When they were convicted, Mr Justice Globe ruled that Jennifer and Samantha's true identities should not be disclosed, as they were deemed vulnerable, being under 18 at the time of the killing. When they had become adults, legal representatives for both young women petitioned the courts, as they sought to make a provisional injunction against revealing their identities permanent, providing them with lifelong anonymity. The issue was argued at the High Court. In October 2020, Edward Fitzgerald QC, acting on behalf of the convicted murderers, sought a permanent injunction for his clients so they would not be publicly identified. Fitzgerald discussed their fragile mental states and told the court how they were extremely psychologically vulnerable. Revealing their identities would, quote, seriously prejudice both of their therapeutic treatment and their rehabilitation, in which both have only just begun to make progress. The claimants live in fear that if their names are disclosed, they will be attacked the barrister said, and that affects their mental health and threatens their rehabilitation and indeed promotes the risk of self-harm or even suicide. A judgment would come in February 2021. Mrs Justice Tipples felt that based on the evidence... 
there was no substantial risk of serious physical harm from the public if Jennifer and Samantha's true identities were revealed. There had been threats posted on social media, but the judge did not consider them credible. That said, while the High Court judge did not believe the girls would be attacked by someone else, there was an immediate risk of both young women harming themselves. With Samantha's frail mental state, she could very well take her own life. It was recognised that if Jennifer's identity alone was revealed, due to the ongoing media interest, it would not be too hard for journalists or even members of the public to identify Samantha too. In what was seen as an exceptional case, it was ruled that unless there was a material change in their circumstances, the identities of the two killers would never be revealed. There appeared to be a public outcry. The two teenagers who killed a woman in such a brutal way, only stopping to post selfie photos on Snapchat and boasting to friends about what happened, should be afforded the right to anonymity. Mike Hill, MP for Hartlepool, was interviewed about the ruling and described it as shocking and disappointing. While I understand the need to protect the identities of minors, once these criminals are of age, in most circumstances people should be made aware of their crime as a matter of public safety, he said. The same level of privacy would not be extended to murderers who commit their crimes as adults. Along with the ruling, Court documents made available to the public included information about the progress made during rehabilitation and how the young women had been adapting to prison life. Samantha was diagnosed with a recognised mental health condition when she committed murder. It was further identified she had an emotionally unstable personality disorder. During her incarceration, another prisoner was said to have found out her true identity and became abusive. This provoked a period of self-harm in 2019 and a decline in Samantha's mental state. Still, throughout 2020, she showed positive signs of mental stability and maturity. The psychologist reported that while it was a slow, gradual process, Samantha's engagement with professionals and her behaviour improved and would continue to do so, providing her anonymity was guaranteed. In their findings, a consultant forensic and clinical psychologist had stated, Were this guarantee to be removed, her progress so far is under threat and her future progress jeopardised. Jennifer, on the other hand, who was a year younger than Samantha at the time of the killing, had not adapted as well to her new situation. Her behaviour had worsened. 
she was involved in a considerable number of violent incidents while incarcerated and had to be forcibly restrained. As Jennifer was already serving a sentence for murder, the charges were added to her criminal record. However, she was given an absolute discharge and no further action was taken. If Jennifer and Samantha were to each serve their entire sentence and a parole board felt it safe to release them into the community, following time served on remand, they would see the outside world at the end of 2029. Numerous lawmakers agreed that in cases like this one, with Samantha's mental state, exceptions did need to be made. Although there was concern that the decision for the killers to remain anonymous could set a precedent where older teenagers or even adults who commit murder may cite the risk of suicide or self-harm as an argument to hide their identity. Mark Hanna, senior journalism lecturer and co-author of McNay's Essential Law for Journalists, understood the judge's ruling regarding anonymity. But in comments widely reported, Hanna told the Press Association, If such people cannot be identified by the media, fewer details of their crimes and what made them criminals can be published. For such anonymity... Injunctions to become common would not be open justice and would restrict debate about how crime can be investigated and prevented. Thank you for listening. A special thanks to our new Patreon producer, Terry Chastain, and everyone who supports us on Patreon. For more information on this episode, please see the show notes or visit our website, theywalkamonguspodcast.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.